Hello, everyone. Today I'm talking to Donna Newman Bluestein, a dance movement therapist, certified movement analyst, and a mental health counselor who currently specializes in older adult and dementia care. My conversation with Donna definitely shined a light on a subject that I've been avoiding a lot in my life. Not only do I actively avoid working with the older adult population, I also tend to stay pretty superficial in my feelings about my last grandparent who's still on earth, my grandmother. It's easy for me because she lives across the world and I haven't seen her in four years, but this conversation makes me realize how important it is for all older adults to consistently receive deep respect and love from everyone around them, even if it seems like they're not all there. This episode is so helpful for anyone working with older adults or wants to know more about how to care for family members nearing the end of their lives. Donna really breaks down the identity and needs of the older adult and shares her passion through our conversation. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. I'm Donna Newman Bluestein. I am a dance movement therapist. I've been working as a dance therapist uh, for about 40 years. Um, and I've worked with people of all ages and all abilities. And in recent years, I've settled on working with mostly older adults and people with dementia. That's great. So is there a reason you start to focus on older adults and dementia? Um, yes. I My dad had dementia, and uh, he was in a nursing home, and I wanted to be where he was. So it was a large facility, um, and there was a dance therapist working on with him, so it wasn't like I was would be working with him. But um, I thought it would be great to be working in the same facility. And I had worked with people with dementia for, you know, on and off for years because uh, my work has always been part-time. I've worked with a lot of different populations. And it also struck me that working with people with dementia requires that one be heart-centered. And that seemed like a good place for me to be working at this point in my life. So, Did you say heart-centered? heart-centered. What, yes. what do you mean by that? Um, well, with some populations, uh, we have to think more, we have to give them more of the reasons we're doing things with them. With some populations, we need to be more physical. Um, but with people with dementia, um, we need to be more in the heart. We, we need to be centered in the heart. How do I know that? Because as a dance movement therapist, we read movement and um, a lot of times people would be blowing kisses. So it didn't take a whole lot for me to figure out that that meant that they needed to both give love and receive love. Hmm. So why is dance movement therapy a preferred treatment for older adults and dementia? Well, I think many older adults become more sedentary, although the lifestyle is changing. So there are more active older adults. But for those who, um, particularly those who are, who are in institutions, um, there's a, too much sitting. And um, uh, we're not healthy if we don't move. We need to be moving to, in order to enhance our immune systems, to get our joints moving, to get all, everything moving, our lymph systems. So um, that's part of the reason. But also it struck me that as we get older, 
um, and we're approaching the ends of our lives, that means that we're approaching the point when we lose our physical bodies. And I thought about what that would mean for me. And before letting go of something, I really want to feel it fully. So I'm taking what I would want for myself and offering that. And what I'm finding is that the people I work with may be very sedentary. They love to move if we can give them a, a, a way of doing it that's joyful, that's easy and pleasurable and meaningful. Um, yeah. And also people who have dementia are losing their cognitive abilities. Um, unless they have a stroke, they're not likely to lose their physical abilities. So they can actually get stronger and more flexible. So because one part is not working as well, it seems to me that to be balanced, we should enhance the parts that they can do well. In fact, they are um, really um, willing to move. They are still very social and they're exceptionally emotionally focused. So dance therapy is perfect medium for them. Yeah. Um, before what you said about before the end of life, you'd want to feel your body fully. So how do you help your clients feel their body fully and how do you help facilitate the process? Well, the more clear I am about what it is that I, what my goals are for them, the more easily I can um, achieve them. So I always knew that what I wanted was for them to use the torso more, you know, the trunk. Um, because the stereotypical way we think of older adults listening to music is tapping their toes and um, maybe their heads moving. But they don't move their torsos. And if we only are moving fingers and toes, it's really not affecting our emotions very much. So I want to get to where um, emotions live so that we can be moving, um, moving emotions. Um, I find one of the ways... Well, the most important way is to name what they're doing. Even if they don't have verbal language, they still can, they still see. And so if I'm mirroring them and saying their name and doing their movement, they're going to notice it. So I just do what they, they do and I'll just name the tapping of the toes. Then I've begun to uh, differentiate that some people are moving their fingers, some people are tapping their toes, some, and, um, the different ways that people do that. So um, they respond because they know they're being seen. That's the real, that's the major thing is that when we actually recognize them, let them know that we see them, they bring more of themselves out. The more they bring out, the more there is for us to respond to and the more they come out. Also, I use props to help bring out different aspects. Balloons are great for getting people to move to their far reaches, um, to move impulsively, to move off balance. These are all things that older adults stop doing. You know, they're, they have to be cautious and stay on this center so they don't fall. So getting them while they're seated to go off of the center, to move quickly, impulsively, um, it gives them more of a, a sense of balance and also playfulness. It's using different props to get them to uh, to engage more. I think people with dementia don't have the ability often to, to initiate. Their frontal lobes are where initiation happens. And I find often people, 
the reason they sit and they don't move isn't because they don't want to, but because they can't initiate anything. So unless they're invited, they won't do it. But also they don't often don't do things because somebody else wants them to. They don't follow directions. That stops being a way that um, I can reach people. I do what I call um, give them something to talk about. So I use a lot of sensory materials, um, appeal to all of the senses. Well, I don't really use taste and, uh, and I don't do so much um, smell anymore. I used to, but less these days. So more visual, more auditory and tactile. Those are the main senses that I'm going after, as well as the kinesthetic. So I just kind of sort of throw things at them, not literally. <laughs> Um, but music, I use music that's very lively, irresistible, that they just can't stop, keep themselves from moving. I use music that they like. If they do um, ask for something or they're spontaneous and they offer something, then I play off of that. So whatever it is they give me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make more of it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're kind of enticing them to want to join, like, you're making the environment so desirable that they are going to want to move and respond. Right. By being playful, really, more than anything. Mm-hmm. And also respectful, deeply respectful. So it's not a mockery. Right. Inevitably, they're they're moving their core through this. And you were saying before that you want to move their emotions. That's why you want to move through their core. So what do you mean by that? How are you moving emotions from the core? Um, the word emotion, uh, literally, it comes from the Latin, and it means out of motion. So depression, for example, is a feeling that gets stuck in the body. And mostly it's not feeling sad. It's, it's withholding the feelings of sadness. So when we move our core, we're more likely to move and remember maybe the sadness. What usually happens more often is that they find joy. They let go of the sadness and they find joy. And then they may remember the sadness. And so we move in and out. Um, A group is more often than not, not deeply emotional. But it gives them the opportunity to tap into memories, to really feel whatever it is that they're feeling, to remember doing something with a sister, being yelled at by a father, whatever it is, and they'll bring that up in the moment. Yeah, it sounds like they're having a chance to express themselves and making movement in the emotions that they may be holding, that may be stuck until they are actually physically moving. Would you say that this is this more like a momentary, joyful experience? Do you think that it is benefiting them even after the session, in between sessions? So it depends upon how frequently they receive treatment. I think it's mainly in the moment. I do groups where when the group is over, the person will ask me, what are you going to do with us? Because they don't remember that we just did something. Mm. It can be that fast. Or I'll lead a group and people are connected, they're lively, they're engaged. And I walk out the door and turn around and I see that they're all disconnected and in their own worlds again. So right now, the most of my work is um, no more frequently than every other week or once a month. You know, that's going to not going to help people maintain their mood. However, in some of the places, they keep people 
engaged enough and social enough that that enhances their mood. I think that if people were offered movement on a daily basis, I think we would see changes. I know that for some people, um, well, for one thing, I don't see agitation at all during a group, pretty much. So somebody who would otherwise be agitated is not agitated. There's no agitation in the room. If they are more relaxed, and I understand the reduction of agitation being an increase in relaxation, I've, you know, I've been told that people could maintain that for the rest of the day, that they, they are no longer agitated, they're more relaxed, they're more engaged. So that does happen. So if they were offered it every day, then it would last longer. Right. Yeah, I, I wonder how you feel about that, about being there kind of infrequently and seeing this abrupt change in engagement, like a diminished engagement or even not remembering the experience they just had. Because I don't personally do much work with older adults. I actually, they're part of my hospital, but I choose when I have the choice not to really do much of that group because that's my own stuff, you know, my own resistance. And it's it's sad for me. But I hear that a lot from other people and my staff who work with the, the older adults that, you know, can be really depressing, um, can kind of feel hopeless. So just wondering, what are your thoughts about that? So is this in an inpatient psych setting? Yes. Right. So that's different from working in, an, you know, in an assisted living or nursing home um, because they're more acute, I would think, if they're in a hospital. Um, yeah, I think I look for the ways that that we can use our challenges to grow. So what I get from being infrequent is I get the opportunity to go into a lot of different places and to see how people are treated and what works and what doesn't work. So. At this point in my career, I'm happy to be um, seeing these things and seeing what works and training other people, which that's that's my joy right now. And really what I want to be doing is training. And when I go into these facilities, they see what the results of what I'm doing and they and they're excited by it as far as depression, actually, it's kind of interesting. Going in once a month, I don't get depressed, but I could see where if somebody's there day in and day out, it could, it's more likely. So I think they need the, the mix of people who are there regularly and then people who are there and change the scenery for them. Right. And they're the same, uh, you work with the same people like you see them over and over again, or is it a different group every time? There may be some people in the group who are different every time, but for the most part, it's they're the same people. And do they recognize you? Do they remember? So mostly they remember that they know me. I'm familiar. I, I see it in their eyes when I shake their hands. And when that first happened, it astonished me because I was told that they have no short-term memory. So how do they remember me a month later? That's pretty strange. But what I found was they do remember me. And um, I see it in their eyes when I shake their hand. When I introduce myself, they they recognize me. And they say, yes, I know you. Hmm. 
and there are some who don't, some who never saw me before in their own memory. Do you think that's because they had a more whole body experience with you that, you know, it's not like they're, they're not just using their minds to remember, but they have the body-based experience remembering you? I think it's more emotional. Mm. I think they remember the staff who are good to them, and they also remember the staff who they don't like to be around because that social-emotional space is really what guides them. Mm-hmm. Do you help them connect to each other and socialize with each other in the groups? Yes, that's my focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that I, I want to share something that happened many years ago when I was a training. I took a, a class in biofeedback. And the first part of what the instructor did was he had a, a man hooked up to um, biofeedback equipment that showed brain waves and the rest of us were watching. And as the instructor uh, led a visualization, you could see that as he, as he was suggesting to the person whose eyes were closed, that you're, you know, lying, you're supported by a cloud and you're, you're relaxed. And you could see that the brain waves leveled off. And that when he would suggest that, you know, a, a bear came, you'd see the, the spike in the brain waves. After that, he had the same person hooked up to these same electrodes. And everyone in the circle, including this person, was holding hands. This person's eyes were closed. And the instructor suggested that two people across the circle would separate their hands So what we saw was when everyone in the group had their hands connected, the brain waves were level. And when two people broke contact, the brain waves spiked. Wow. That was before I started working as a dance therapist. So what I understood from that was that our connection to one another, at least when we're touching, affects our brain waves. If it's affecting our brain waves, my common sense tells me that that's affecting our chemistry, our body chemistry. And if our body chemistry is affected, I know that it's affecting our emotions, our whole being. So I took that understanding with me into my work. And what I think happens now, what I see happen, is that I'm providing people with an experience where they feel an integral part of the whole. We're not necessarily holding hands, but we are connected. I ensure that we're connected from how I begin the group, which is with our arms open, ready for a hug. I create moments early on where I invite them to connect to somebody across the circle, to look at them, to point to them. Because, and I tell them this, when we exercise, we exercise for our own bodies And when we dance, we dance with other people. Dance is about moving our bodies and about our relationship with others. So I'm building that in the entire time. And also while I'm uh, giving them feedback, mirroring them verbally, letting them know that I see that the movements they're doing, I'm also letting them know that I see the ways they support one another, the way they help one another, the way they connect. That's really nicely put. And 
I can kind of imagine that a lot of them are pretty internally focused or not really presently focused in the room or with other people normally. So to have that experience is really powerful. And for you to be reinforcing that too and just like letting them know, hey, you're being noticed. Hey, this person sees you. You're you're connecting. You're part of a bigger, part of something bigger. And one thing that I love about working with people with dementia is that while they may not be present if they're sitting by themselves, if you invite them to be present, they're a blast. <laughs> they are so much fun. They'll do this, you know, the silliest things that the, most people will censor themselves, but they don't censor. The censor doesn't work anymore. So that turns out to be, for me, a good thing because they're willing to play with me. And I never know what's going to happen. You know, somebody can, uh, I'm trying to think of what somebody, you know, somebody took a prop, I forget what it was, and they they put it on top of their heads. And it didn't make any sense, but it didn't matter. It made us all, all laugh. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you have any interesting stories to tell us. <laughs> if there's anything I, you can think of. I have many. So one of them, one of my favorite recent stories to tell uh, was is a woman whose name is Veronica. <laughs> she told me as she trilled her R's. So I noticed that. And so when I would introduce myself to her, I would call her Veronica. And she would light up like a bulb. She was just delighted. Uh, oh, so she was somebody who had to be on her feet. She had to be you know, a wanderer, as they call them, somebody who walked a lot in and out. Um, but in my group, she could be on her feet. So I spend part of the time on, on my chair so that I'm normalizing that we're dancing sitting down. And since most people need to be sitting down. But I, if anybody wants to get up, then I'm right up there with them. So I would get up and dance with her. You know, anytime she started to wander out of the circle, I would just go kind of scoop her into, you know, back into the circle and have her dance with me around with other people. So this one day she was standing and I had just come into the room and there was a woman who was sitting and she was trying to get Veronica to sit. She's indicating, you know, to sit and that's she's this woman is doing what the staff do, try to get her to sit. She's frustrated. So I said, it's okay, I'll, I'll take care of her. So I called her Veronica. And the next thing I knew, Veronica was all smiles. And I had music on and she starts to dance with me. And so for the next 10 minutes, I go around and introduce myself to every person, all the while dancing with Veronica. And, um, you know, continuing to do whatever it is that I would do in any group. And the woman who initially was upset said to me at one point, I just need to stop you for a moment. She said, I want to thank you. She said, she was so upset and I was so sad. And look at her now. She's so happy. Thank you. Nice. They see one another and they see when another person is upset and it upsets them. I can have people who are nonverbal for the most part, 
their eyes closed, they'll hear somebody crying in another room. And they'll tell me, I have to go take care of my baby. They're very connected emotionally. So if we can pay attention to that, you know, we can't help them go find that baby, but just honor the feelings that they have and let them know that somebody else is taking care of the baby. Their empathy is beautiful. That's a nice story. It makes me think of how we, just a general population, not not necessarily older adults or people with dementia, you know, can be, tend to be less emotionally connected or less empathetic, not because we can't be, but because our, our thoughts get in the way or maybe the higher functioning parts of our brain get in the way. And when you're working with older adults and dementia, you're kind of seeing, like you said, that filter is gone or is not there a lot of the time. So they're really just interacting from true, pure emotion. Yes. Tom Kitwood uh, was a, a ger- was a gerontologist, a sociologist, a social worker who was very influential in the field of dementia care. In the 90s, he wrote a book called Dementia Reconsidered. And he's the person who's responsible for the resurgence of the term person-centered care, which is being used not only in dementia care, but in all kinds of care. He saw through a different lens how people with dementia were being treated in with a medical model and how that's a model that doesn't work for them. And one of the my favorite things that he said was that maybe the fact of Dementia brings the rest of us in line with our, with our earlier way of being, of being in our emotions and being in our bodies. So in, I think that's a gift that they bring to us because in order to work with them, I must be in my body and I must be in my emotions. It's a gift. Yeah, definitely something I haven't thought about. That's definitely given me a different perspective now. I think that at different points in our lives, there are different, I think we need different things as therapists. And um, when I worked in chronic pain, people needed a cognitive understanding of why I was asking them to do these things, whatever they were. So I was very much in my cognitive brain. At different points in one's career, there may be a need for us to be more mind-centered, heart-centered, spirit-centered. Right. Just like people, everyday people in their lives. Yes. Different things. Yeah. So that's what you mean by heart centered. (laughs) Right. I think that we don't have a good terminology for dementia. Alzheimer's is a syndrome that affects between 60 and 80% of people with dementia. Dementia is a more inclusive term. But literally, dementia means out of mind. I'm not sure that that's what really is going on. I think there's more than the cognitive brain. Also, so I think more and more we hear of memory units and memory impairments. But memory loss is not the greatest problem, as I see it, for people with dementia. It is a problem for them because it means that they can't function in the world the way that they used to and the way that we need to. However, what really is disturbing 
is loneliness. It's their feeling of abandonment and loneliness. Those are what we need to address. So I think that that's what's become clear to me is what they need. And when we, when we fill that need, they're whole. That means they're well. Mm -hmm. So they just need people to play with them, to be present and play in a way that's deeply respectful and gives them space for their creativity, their uniqueness. Which is such a different approach than uh, memory care, memory recovery or whatever people are calling it. Cause that's a very different approach of let me try to get your memory back or let me try to do some, you know, cognitive testing versus let me just be with you and, play and allow you to be yourself and interact with me in a, you know, in a more free way. It's just such a different quality than being tested or having that certain structure that is kind of like for coming from someone else to like, I want you to achieve this goal versus let me entice you into achieving whatever you go, whatever goal you'd like to achieve at the moment. Yes, yes. So that's the other thing that I didn't mention was empowerment. Yeah, they have so little power, so little control. And giving them choices is a pretty amazing thing. I have one of my props is a ribbon wand. It's a plastic rod and it has ribbons at the end of it. And I offer them, there are six colors and I offer them every single time. And I don't know, maybe 99% of them choose, maybe more. They make a choice, which means that they still have the ability to make choices. Those are aesthetic choices, and those are choices that reinforce their individuality. They are still unique human beings, and they know it. It's just the people around them have seemed to have lost that right. understanding. Right. Through every stage of our lives, we, we want choice and empowerment. So why would that change? It doesn't. I, I wonder if people kind of relate memory loss to not, not caring as much, not feeling as much. Well, actually, what, what has been said is it's the loss of the self, but it isn't true. The self is there. The self remains. The self remains. I see it. I see it as soon as I connect through my eyes, through my offering of my hand, they're there. There's somebody somebody there, and I see a glint of recognition, and there's a back and forth. We know we're seeing each other. It doesn't happen in the world at large very much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for giving us that perspective, and I hope this can be shared with people who are just working in that kind of setting and hopefully interested in understanding a little bit more deeply what kind of approach will be helpful. Well, I do a training in nonverbal communication for caregivers because people communicate nonverbally through their bodies. And so if people, if their caregivers don't know, they know that the person with dementia may be communicating. Well, actually that they don't even necessarily know. Sometimes they think that people with dementia do what they do because they're, because it's a symptom of dementia. It's not a symptom mm. of dementia. It's a symptom of loneliness. It's a symptom of, of abandonment. It's a symptom of disempowerment. They're being disregarded. So if people can understand the communication coming from the person with dementia and that they are transmitting information and communication themselves, then they can learn 
what am I doing? What am I doing that's affecting this person? How else could I do what I'm doing that will help bring ease? And that's really a part of the training that I most want to be doing because it's the most effective. Right. Well, I imagine people get pretty easily irritated or frustrated or like this, there's underlying sadness about who they're caring for, if it's a family member or even not turns into something like resistance or not willing to feel, you know, those emotions that of the person they're taking care of. So do you have any, do you have any tips for caregivers? Like what are the tips that you give in order to stay emotionally checked in and available? Well, first of all, is knowing that they need to do that, that they can't disregard their feelings. If, and and that's a really difficult thing to do when one is caring for a family member who has dementia because the person has that much more on their plate to deal with. So feeling the time pressure, but we need to take care of our emotions. So I find using the arts is a wonderful way of processing feelings whether it's poetry, visual arts, dance, theater, um, using the arts, because the arts help make meaning out of suffering. And there's suffering there. But if we feel suffering, but we don't learn from it, it's meaningless suffering. So we need to fit, find the meaning. What, where is the meaning for each of us in, in this you know, caregiving role? Where's the meaning for the person with dementia? Where's, how do we find meaning? Through the arts. Just whatever works for each individual person. Right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Mm Arit. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to get in touch, just visit my website, www.mindyourbodydmt.com. And you can find my contact information there. I hope to hear from you.